Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. How many of you are glad you came this morning? Amen. Sometimes it's hard to get up here and when you see what God is doing and change directions or and actually I realized I mean this whole morning it's just a continuation which is what God does. But uh this is something that I had for the end of the sermon. But I believe that the church is the most important organization, organism, however you want to call it, family. The church is the most important thing that we have on this planet. And that, that message about the cornerstone, it is. It's important. I, I, other than to say it's important, because I don't want to go off on a rabbit trail right away before I even start, but... But if we are standing, if we're trying to stand on anything else, if we're looking at the wisdom of this world for anything in our lives, and we're not basing it off of the Word of God and what Jesus has done for us, we're going to be miserable. And we're going to continue fighting in the same cycle that we have been. So, we're in the book of Nehemiah. So if you have your Bibles... Um, the book of Nehemiah is just a couple books before Psalms. But Ole and Lena, they had a friend from the country come out to their homestead and, and put brand new windows in their house. This is a joke, so just so you're all prepared. Prepare to laugh at the end, please. So they had this old friend from the, from the city come out to their homestead and put new windows in their house and their nice aluminum-clad dual-pane windows and high R-value, and, and they were excited, and they had it done in the fall. So through the winter, they, they experienced what good windows can do for a home. Well, the next fall, the contractor calls and says, you know, I put these windows in your house a whole year ago, and you haven't sent me a dime. And Lena says, oh... You're trying to pull a fast one on me. You told me that these windows would pay for themselves in a year. <laughs> so there was a long pause and a click. He hung up and gave up. Nehemiah, this is a this is huge, and there's so many things that we can pull out of this book and what Nehemiah did and what was going on in Jerusalem or Judah at this time. Leadership teamwork, all of these different things. And so what I want to do is, is, is just pull out some of the main events that happened and what was accomplished through Nehemiah and, and then go back and talk about why Nehemiah was successful. And this is kind of a, this is a foundational truth that we can pull out of here, but we can talk about a lot of different things with leadership and leadership skills and what we learn and how to deal with, 
with volunteers and, and all the different aspects of what it takes to actually run a, a large organization, because we're talking about thousands and thousands of people in Judah and the influx of people coming back from captivity. But there is a simple truth that, we find, that we're going to find here in Nehemiah. A couple things about that I find really interesting is that the temple was built about 15 years before Nehemiah came on the scene. So when Israel was taken into captivity, all of this was destroyed. So now we're at the 70 years after Daniel's prophecy that they're all coming back. And the temple was the first thing that was built, and then the wall. The temple, the funding for the temple came from Persia. The funding for the wall came from Persia. And actually, when the first temple was built, when, when, when Israel left captivity in Egypt, e- Egypt gave them millions of dollars worth of gold and silver and raiment and all of this stuff. And they, they went through this whole journey all the way until David. And when, when David took an offering... For Solomon to build the wall, he says, all of this came from the deliverance from Egypt. And so it's just really, one of the things about, about walking with God is recognizing that we, we walk and we have all of our, it's like we have blinders on. We, we don't see outside the scope of what we see, but the vision that God has for us as a church and us as, as individuals is far beyond what we can see. The temple was built off of the wealth of the world. This was two two times, and then the wall was rebuilt. The Jews did it, but God provided it from someplace else. And I just find that just really kind of interesting, just to ponder what is going on in the world right now, what's going on around the church right now, and what is God really wanting to do in our lives? And I spent too long on that, even. The wall... The wall, Nehemiah, he ends up going in to build this wall. And the main things that he ended up dealing with, first of all, was building this wall. And it was like 25 miles around. The average height was like 30 feet. The average width was like 5 feet. So this is not just building a fence around a back 40. This is building a wall. And, and so... This, this guy, he comes out there and he's, he's a cupbearer and he's looking at this task ahead of him that he knows God wants, wants him to do. But this is a task. And this is huge. This is a big deal. And in the process of, of dealing with this, he has to, he has to come there. He, he really didn't know anybody. He's been, in, he's, he's been on the outside and he has to come there and somehow he has to believe that all these people are going to be motivated to help him. He faces rejection. He faces, he faces adversaries to the point to where he armed the people that were working on the wall and set up guards around him with spears and arrows and, and swords. And, and, and because the adversaries that were there, they were literally wanting to kill, and they were killing people, and they were looting out of the city. And so he goes through this process of assessing the wall, finding out where all the weak spots are, putting guards up. This is just a constant movement of what he needed to do to accomplish this. And the adversaries, 
they, they, are, they are all over the place. And, and I say that because while it's obvious to see when you're building a wall, they're out there and we're in here and they're trying to stop us, but to stop in our day-to-day lives and look at what is it that the adversaries are trying to do in our lives and what we're doing. And I'm going to talk more about that, about, about that later. One of the other things that Nehemiah ran into was a financial crisis. The people had been brought back and they had started coming. So there was, a, there was a portion, a remnant that were already there. And they had mortgaged themselves to the point to where they couldn't afford to eat. And they brought this to Nehemiah's attention. So Nehemiah, he gathers all the people around and he goes to the to the mortgage companies, the people that were, that were taking, that, were, that borrowed the money against their properties and everything, and he was able to negotiate the release of all of this debt for the people so that they could start living, so they could start eating, and they could accomplish what they were doing because when, when all of this was set up, everybody was involved in it. Everybody was involved in the rebuilding of the wall but this is a huge financial crisis. Can anybody relate to this? I mean, this is, a, this is, this is life-changing. So that's why I'm just highlighting some of these things, because I want to get back to the point. But the, the whole idea of a conspiracy theory in our adversaries, this, I, in, in James chapter 5, I think it is, where it says, where there's envy and strife, there's every evil work. Chapter 2, thank you. 3, thank you. My wife's back there waving at me. What would I do without her? Where there's envy and strife, there's every evil work. That word strife has political in its, in its definition. And this is, one, this is a verse that, that has changed our life because when we start sensing strife, Red flags go up in my head, and strife creeps its way into our lives in so many different ways. And the, the political situation is, is as such as that we're just simply trying to position ourselves above somebody else. And it, is, it, is a cre- it, is a, it creeps into our lives, and it's huge. This is one of these things that, man, where there is envy and strife, there's every evil work. That opens the door to so many things, to so many adversaries in our lives and the struggles that we have that we don't open the door to this. And again, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this later and point out exactly what this looked like for Nehemiah. In the end, the wall was built in 52 days, which is miraculous in itself. And Nehemiah ended up being a governor for 12 years in Judah, and he did go back to uh, the king that he was serving, Artaxerxes. Um, but he spent that much time there. The wall was built in, in, in 52 days. But what he accomplished was far greater than the wall because there was a reestablishing of the covenants. There was a reestablishing of the, of the nation of Israel and who they were. And this is important because a lot of what God has been speaking to us already today has everything to do with our identity. Who we are. Who our good father is and who we are to him is all about our identity, 
us being sons and daughters. Us being sons and daughters. So let's jump to, to chapter 1 and talk about what it was that caused Nehemiah to be successful in this endeavor. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakalah. I'm going to read out of, out of uh, the NLT, which most of us, I think, have, but you can follow along with the screen. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was in the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me along with some of the other men that, were, that had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who have returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and distress. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven, and I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you, yes, even my own family, and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly, but not by not we have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you have given us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are if you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you throughout the nations. This is important. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people who rescued, the people you rescued by your great and powerful and strong hand are your servants. O Lord, please hear my prayers, listen to my prayers of those of us that delight and honor you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into my heart to be put it in his heart to be kind to me. And then the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the twentieth year of, of King Xerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence, so the king asked me, Why are you sad? You don't look sick. You must be deeply troubled. I was terrified, he said. But I replied, Long live the king. How can I be so sad? How can, it, how can I not be so sad for the, for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have, have been destroyed by fire? I had to read all that because of the context of what, of what has happened, what has happened in, in Nehemiah's heart. And to try and put a picture of what it, what it looks like to be in exile is a hard thing for us to do, but he's been serving this king in Persia as a cupbearer. And, and all along, somehow, 
his heritage, who he is, has stayed in him so that he recognizes when he goes through his prayer and he's, and he's recounting what has happened to Israel through all this time, he knew where he was in, in, in God's vision. He knew, he knew the place where he was at. He was saying, this is what happened to us because we didn't obey. We ended up scattered and now we're at this place. We're at this place that, that Daniel had prophesied, that Jeremiah had prophesied. We are at this place. This is your word. This is where we're, we're at. And so I know that this is what it is. This is what we're going to do. We're going to rebuild Israel. The word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And this is not some ethereal, bizarre, outside, spooky thing that, that we talk about. This is, a, this is a truth that we can stand on. This is a cornerstone truth that, that when the Bible says that Jesus is the cornerstone, everything that Jesus stands on, everything that Jesus stood for, everything that Jesus did is the cornerstone and the beginning of that light on our path. He is the light. He is the one that's showing the way. And so when we think about this, the practical thing in Nehemiah's life was when his brother came and said, it is not going well. The city walls are broken down and the, and the gates are burned. The practical truth of that was this burden that came onto Nehemiah to where he spent months from fall until spring praying about this and this burden stayed inside of him to the point to where the king actually said, you're not sick, what's wrong with you? I have this burden. God's will is not being done in Israel and I need to do something about it. So the king opened the door, the king financed it, the king asked him, when are you going to come back? You can go do this, but when are you going to come back? He opened the door for this, but where did it come from? It came from his identity. I am a Jew. It doesn't matter if I'm in captivity or not. It doesn't matter where I'm living. I'm a Jew. This is my heritage. This is what God is doing in my country for me, for all of us, actually for the whole world, and, and I need to go back. This came out of a burden in his heart. He didn't have a prophet set him off outside of the crowd and anoint him with oil. He didn't have a visitation from an angel. He didn't have a dream. He had compassion in his heart for something that needed to be done. That's, that is the simplest thing in the world because what happens to us is that we're looking for the lights. We're looking for the flash. We're looking for the visitation. We're looking for the dream. And they are great. And they do happen. They do happen. People still hear the audible voice of God. People still have dreams. But they don't have to be like that. God speaks to us in a lot of different ways. And for Nehemiah, it was just hearing the news and having this compassion. But knowing who God was and who he was to God was so important in this. And this is what drove him. And actually, this is what caused him to succeed. 
his identity, knowing who he was. There wasn't any... There wasn't any great miracles of armies being slain. There wasn't any, there was none of that. This was, this was God's will being done through a man and people gathering around in that vision that God had given them. The covenant. Man, I wish I understood more about covenant. Because Throughout the Bible, we have all these different covenants, and, and we're standing right now in the covenant that God made through us with Christ. And, and it's easy to look at this, and, and we, have to, we have to divide who we are in Christ. And, that, and I'm going to try and do this the best I can, but the covenant that we have in Christ is different than the covenant that the Israelites had. There's a difference. God never changes, but how we have been, have, how we have react with God is different because of the name of Jesus. And that's huge. That is huge. Understanding God's covenant to us is everything when it comes down to our, to our purpose. But dealing with the adversary. So Nehemiah, he starts this process, and he's building the wall. And there's these three guys, these three main characters that, that are standing up against. And I just picture that these, they have been around Israel since the fall. And they, and they come and go out of Israel as they please. They're looting. They're killing people. They're stealing. And, and they're harassing the Israelites. And this becomes obvious here. Let's turn to, to uh, chapter 2 and verse 19. So Nehemiah has has he's assessed the wall, and he's gone to the governor to the to the leaders in Judah and said and said let's build the wall. And so they said yes. In uh, the latter part of verse eighteen in chapter two, yes, let's let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. But when Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall. Listen to this. But you have no share. You have no legal right or historic claim in Jerusalem. This is all about identity. This is all about knowing who we are. You know, and, and who we are in the kingdom of God. You know, the, the, the picture that of, the, of Israel, the picture of Israel in the Old Testament, we know that, that the Old Testament is Christ concealed, the New Testament is Christ revealed. So when we're thinking about who we are in the kingdom of God, Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God and established it. And and throughout the Old Testament, Israel is like a picture of, of the kingdom of God. Jesus said the kingdom is not of this world, but the picture of Israel was that, that we have this supernatural life inside of us, Christ in us, and, and it becomes a mindset. How can, how can a man, outside of, of standing on ground and saying, you have no legal right here, but you see, when we stand and we face 
and we face tribulation in our life, when we face financial difficulties, when we face sickness, when we face all of these things, and we look at what Jesus did for us on the cross and recognize that we are now standing in this covenant, in the authority of the name of Jesus, we can stand and we can look at the adversary and say, you have no claim in my life any longer. You have no claim. The kingdom of God is this place inside of us that, it, that, that is what we think, what we believe, what we know to be true by the word of God. It's this place inside of us. It's a truth of knowing. It changes the way you look at the world around you. And we can say, you have no claim on me. You have no, the boundary has been set and you have no right to step into this kingdom that I live in. It's all about identity. Nehemiah knew he was a child of God, a Jew, and there was a claim there. God said, this is, this is the country that I will give you. He gave it to Abraham. And we're hundreds of years later, and Nehemiah is standing there and he's saying the exact same thing. You have no right, you have no historic value, anything, and no claim to this land. This is the kingdom of God inside of us. We stop and we look, what did Jesus do for me? Because what he did for me, adversary, you have no right. You have no claim. I am standing on what the word says because this is who God says I am. And so I'm going to believe it. I'm going to believe it. You have no right. You have no claim. Let's look at chapter 4. So Sambalat, chapter 4, verse 1. Sambalat, I think it actually is, was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into rage and mocked the Jews, saying, in front of all of his friends and the Samaritan army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can re rebuild the wall in a single day just by offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think that they can make something of stones from this, rub this uh, rubbish heap and, and the charred ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse even if a fox walked on top of it. If you're taking notes, this, these might be something good to write down. Because this picture of what, what Nehemiah was facing and this ridicule is something, these are things that, that we face every day, every week, every month. And, and Satan is not that creative. He does the same things over and over again. And the problem is, is that, they've, that they've worked way too much. And that's just the truth, is that, is that we keep falling to the same lies. And we have to grab, we have to grab a hold of this, of this simple truth of our identity in Christ. But he attacks our identity. Who, are these, who do these feeble Jews think they are? They weren't feeble Jews. They were chosen people of God. They weren't feeble Jews. They were chosen people of God. He attacks your identity. 
He attacks your motives. I said it earlier, are you trying to overthrow the king? At that time, there wasn't a king of Judah. It was King Artaxerxes. The lie is, is obvious because King Artaxerxes actually opened the door for them to come. But what Satan wants to do, where are your motives? Are you trying to overthrow somebody? This is that strife. Making us question the good that we are trying to do in God. Making us question it and making us feel like we're doing something wrong while we are doing something right. Has anybody ever felt that way? That their motives are constantly being questioned? Bringing up the sacrifices... Questions our relationship with the Father. The things that we do, our faith in God, just trusting in God, Satan wants to, the adversaries, the people that, that in the world, they want to question, they want us to be questioning our faith. Do you think that just praying over this is going to help? Do you think that, that, that being obedient and, and, and being involved in the church, do you think that's really going to help? They want us to question, is this really going to work? They want us to question our relationship with the Father. And then finally question the quality. Man, we've seen this. The, Israel's been destroyed already. You know, this isn't going to work. Even if it stands for a little while, even a fox running out of it is going to fall. He makes us question the beginning, the middle, and the end. He makes us question the longevity of what God is doing on this earth and what God wants to do through us. To stand and know who we are and what we are doing and where we are headed as people, as Christians, and as the church is so important to get the big picture of what God is trying to tell us so that we can look at practically what am I doing tomorrow? This is what God wants us to do. And so we're going to continue on. This applies to every area in our life. And because, you know, personally, as individuals, we are, we're, we're the temple. We're the temple. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we become saved. And as we go through our lives, we learn and we see where all the, all the weak spots of the wall of our soul is. And we have to assess it. And we have to, we have to intentionally go after those, those holes in our walls, those areas of weakness, and build them, shore them up, so that, we, so that we can start operating in this kingdom to a greater degree. And it's the same thing with the church. It's the same thing, the same principles apply in the church that, that as we grow and as we start building each other up, as we start, we see, we see the areas inside the church, inside of what we're doing, inside of what we're praying for, inside of, inside of all these things that God has planned for the church, the body of Christ, the literal body of Christ, which we are all members of, and what the impact of this church is supposed to have on our communities and on our cities and on our country. As we continue to grow and we see the weak spots and we take the blinders off and say, God, what are, we, what are you wanting to accomplish? And, and give me that burden. Give me that understanding so that we can continue on and actually have impact in our lives that we can look at the last week and say, 
I saw God moving through my life, through all this thing, all, all these different circumstances. I had this idea that I had no idea. I never thought of that before. And I know it was God working in me. That people, you know, it says that it will, it, it, he establishes the kingdom for his glory. He wants to be glorified in our lives. We focus so much on glorifying God in which we should. We need to do that because to him go all the glory. But you know, to recognize that this is a relationship and God wants to be glorified in our lives so that people look at us, the world looks at us and says, there is something different about them. There is something different. Amen? Is this helping anybody? Amen. Our identity, and, I, and this is, you know, when Cindy and I started on our journey, it was nine years ago now, one of the first things that happened to us is that he spoke to both of us separately and said, go back to the church. And you've heard me talk probably about being one of the duns. I was done with church. So was Cindy. And he called us back to the church. And I said in the beginning, I believe that the church, I don't just believe this, I know it. I know it to be true. The church is the most important family, group, organization, organism, however you want to put it, the most important place that we can be, be rooted and grounded in. And the reason why is because this is where God builds his people up and we, and we create and we become disciples and our lives become rich. It was always God's intent throughout the Old Testament that, that, the, that the nation of Israel become a peculiar people, that they become rich. Not just rich with finances or anything like that. Just, we got to get this mindset out of us that no, we can, we're not supposed to be this. We're not, you know, God was... That, like, like somehow in our humility, we have lowered the standard of God working in our lives. God wants us God wants to be glorified in his life, in our lives, for his grandeur, his unspeakable goodness, his unspeakable love. Everything that God is, he wants to manifest in our lives. He wants it to become real in our lives so people look at us and say, there's something different about them. It's God. He wants people to see his glory in our lives. We have to raise the bar in our faith to realize that this is God's will. He did not want Israel, to st- the, the Jerusalem, to stay in rubbles. He wanted it to be rebuilt. He wanted it to. He wants. He wants J- Israel and Jerusalem to succeed. They are a peculiar people even today. They live. The nation of Israel is this in the middle of the desert. And it is a lush, green country. And it is a superpower in the world. They are a blessed people because of these covenants. And now we are all grafted in. We're all grafted into this family. This is part of the mystery of the gospel and what Jesus did. This is so critical. Identity. Who are you in Christ? Who do you really believe you are? Do you believe that God sitting on the throne is looking down at you and saying, you are my child. 
Everything that I have, I have given you in Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we walk the victory. In the name of Jesus, we have authority. It even says Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and we are actually seated with him. We are actually seated with Christ because of what he did for us on the cross. He has raised us up from everything that, that came from Adam. Jesus is the second man, and he's redeemed us into this life of victory. If Nehemiah had not known who he was, he would not have, he would not have understood what God was asking him to do and why. Our identity is so important I have a coffee cup. I meant to bring it up. And it just basically says, if you want to win, don't give up. And I, and I love that coffee cup because a few years back, I was talking to a fat pastor friend of mine. Actually, it ended up being two separate pastors. But they both gave me the same advice. Don't give up. And that was the last thing that I wanted to hear. Because I wanted specific answers. I wanted... I wanted, the, I wanted the formula. I wanted the, the check, the, the money to fall out of the sky. I wanted the, the doorbell to ring and people to come out of the closet and all these different things to, 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 to have immediate, an immediate fix for the problems that, that I was facing. And the answer was, don't give up. And the reason why is because I have to be sure of my identity. I did not want to hear that. Don't give up. Because in those circumstances, I wanted to give up. I wanted to give up. But understanding the, the growing in my relationship with my Father in heaven and everything that Jesus did for me on the cross, my identity, that's my identity. And so as I have learned, there are things that I had given authority to the enemy inside of my life, contrary to what Jesus did for me. And I needed to stand on that authority. I needed, to, I needed to know what those boundaries were. I needed to know where the wall was to start building it. I needed to go there. I needed to look at it. I needed to, to start putting brick upon brick and tearing down what the old strongholds were and building up the stronghold of who I am in Christ. So don't give up. And in the meantime, if Nehemiah would have never gone, I don't know how long they would have had to wait to build the wall. They had already, the, the tabernacle was built and it was like 14, 15 years later that the wall was built. So what were they doing in between there? I don't know. But who would have, else would have God had to try and call to build the wall if Nehemiah hadn't gone? We have to do something we have to be involved. We have to start serving. And we have to allow ourselves to be served. Every place that we go inside the body of Christ, there is a giving and a receiving happening. And I just want to charge everybody to be involved. It was a, neither of us wanted to go back to the church. At that moment, it was like, oh, really? I mean, that's just honest. Really? But then I stopped and I looked. God, why do you want us to go back to the church? Because this is the way I work in the world. Through you. 
in the authority of name of Jesus that God, that he is giving us, he works through us and the church. And so I just want to charge, man, get involved. There's a balance in all this. But you know, we have to do something. That wall would have not been built, in, built by Nehemiah himself. There were thousands of people that came together and they did it in 52 days. Could have never done it without everybody. Amen. I'm going to stop there. Um, let's just stand and I'll, pr- and I'll pray. And um, Cindy and I will be available if anybody wants prayer. We prayed for a number of people last week and it went through my mind to hear testimonies. Um, but there's nothing that's impossible with God. There's nothing. And wherever we're at, we want to be able to stand together as a family, as brothers and sisters, to see each other's way through whatever, whatever we're going through in life. That's what this is about. And seeing victory and walking in victory and seeing how God works in our lives in the, just a the very practical sense of, I just need to do this and watch God do it. And we want to stand together and help you whatever way we can inside this. Father, I just thank you for your love for us. I thank you that your word is a lamp under our feet and a light under our path. And Father, I thank you for clarity. You promise us in your word that your spirit will bring things back to our remembrance, that your spirit will, 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 will teach us the way to go. And so Father, we just open up our hearts and our minds to hear your voice, to hear what the Spirit is saying, and Father, that there'll be a clarity, that Father, whatever fog of confusion that's in our way, Father, that your word is going to split that fog in Jesus' name, Father, that we will have clarity in our life, and that in this clarity we will be able to walk in peace and know the joy of what it is to know that you not only have our back, but you have our front and you have our sides, you have our eternity. And so, Father, again, thank you for your love for us and that your word is truth. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus. The mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Amen. We thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.